Blog Talk Radio. Peace to the gods. You already know, man. Bohemian wizardry, you fraud them thieves be killing me. The enemy is close, we both lies on our identity. I feel like he who step, architect like M. Hotel. Son had the son himself, the guard deadly with the art. I fit dark with a slit heart. You can feel it in your bone marrow before the shit starts. Standing in the cold with a scroll that was written in gold. Behold the old glimpse that was never untold. Infinite like the eight seven dwelling in your melon. No felon, though the unrighteous say that I'm rebellious. I'm primal, my rhyme suicide. I worship no idols. My style of all the gems going down in a spiral. You stuck in your root. My intelligence has my cool. The God is the truth. Every time I step in the booth, you step on the stoop. Got Scoop the swoop in my loop. Do the knowledge, whack them seeds, get played like blue. You wish the sun of the saw, a gift from the gods. The roof flying through the sky with golden wings. Submerged into the light, naughty by the golden king. With the scepter of justice, melanin cultivating change. So we are various, finally becoming one with the righteous sun. So law, souls are raw, magnificent glow with unconditional love. Scattered rays today from the heavens above. So below, the souls trapped in the lowest depths of hell. Incarnated into 76 trillion cells to break free. We must be refined, masculine and feminine properties combined. The devil is the author of confusion. 183,000 religions and religions. Denomination that's co-schizoism. Though isn't it written in the Bible that Jesus spoke in parables? The scriptures are gospel are just historical. Many passages wanted to be taken literal. Most of it is allegorical based on esoteric principles. Baptist versus Methodist. Pentecostal holiness versus Jehovah Witness. Mormons versus Seventh-day Adventists. Skeptics, atheists, and agnostics. Divine and the tactics of the reptilians. Those or dimensional aliens. So beware of the draconian Satanists. Though they aim to imprison all true beings through ignorance. So we crush the head of Leviathan. Battle my controls to villainous suggestions. Brainwashing into horrors. Using religious politics, education, economics, health, and labor. Entertainment and war. No sex and war. In this chess war, game called like we've all been pawns. Puppets on strings controlled by demonic spawns. You can't run with the devil and walk with God. Greetings, Baba. How you doing today? Peace, Brother Fahim. Well, All right. I'm doing well, brother. All right. Fahim. Okay, well, how are both of you guys doing? Doing well. All right. That's great. Great. Everybody doing good for tonight, so I guess we get started. Okay. So, well, let me know when you ready to get started, and then uh, we'll Tonight is I'm, I'm going to uh, talk about the, the Bible and its origins. 
and take you through a timeline of how the Bible uh, created when it came in and, and the different uh, dates and things that, and the events that happened at those dates and so the people can get a, a clear timeline and understanding of, uh, of the Bible that's out here today so they won't, you know, just even Israel and the dark. So, uh, are we ready to start? Yes, we are. Ready, ready. Okay, well, let me uh, share this uh, to get started. Um, uh, the Bible is connected with a religion called Christianity. Uh, the Quran is connected to the religion called Islam. And um, the Sefer Torah is connected to the religion called Judaism. So, uh, and then the Vita is connected to the religion called uh, Hinduism and Buddhism. So, uh, each and every man-made created religion has its own unique set of literatures uh, that is created for uh, that particular religion. So, in order to keep the believer in those various religions, to have something to hold on and believe in the lie or the mythology that they believe in. So that's what uh, religious literature uh, is, it was created for. Uh, that was the purpose for those various uh, different religions that I just named. Now we're going to deal with Christianity. Christianity uh, or the creation of the non-human uh, created a creature called Christ and the non-human created a creature called the Virgin Mary was treated by our African ancestors, the Melchite Catholic Egyptians, at Ephesus, the Council of Ephesus. Um, there were nine ecumenical council meetings that took place in Turkey, Northeast Africa, today called the Middle East. And at Ephesus, the very most um, important council meeting that has ever been uh, in existence on planet Earth. Uh, why? Because that's where the created creature, the non-human, like I mentioned, Jesus Christ was created, and the non-human created creature, the Virgin Mary, was created. So now, uh, that is the beginning of Christianity. Uh, 431 at the Council of Ephesus, the creation of these two created creatures. Uh, now, 900, uh, I'm sorry, 101 years later, there was a Christian church the world's first Christian church was created there in Constantinople, Turkey, today called Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, that, I'm talking about the Church of Hagia Sophia. That's the world's first Christian church, or the Church of Mary and Christ. And that church was commissioned to be built uh, by Justinian and his wife, Theodora, in 532. And they commissioned African architects and builders to design and build that church. Um, and that's what they did. And they finished it uh, December the 27th, uh, 1530. What am I talking about? 537. So they began to build it in 532. Uh, they completed it five years later, 537. Uh, and that church stayed up and running in Constantinople, Turkey, uh, which is Istanbul, Turkey, in northeast Africa for 902 years until the seat was moved 
out of Northeast Africa, out of the double wall theory of Constantinople, out of the churches of Hagia Sophia, into on the outskirts of Rome. That was done when John the Eighth in 1439 uh, went into Florence, Israel, at the curia there, C-U-R-I-A, which means college, and transferred that seat out of, of Northeast Africa, out of Constantinople, out of the Hagia Sophia, and he relinquished what is known in history as the donation of Constantine. Now, the donation of Constantine, I write about in my book, Historical Origin of Christianity. Um, uh, so if one wants to follow up on finding out more about the donation of Constantine, then read my book, the Historical Origin of Christianity. Or either go to and, uh, and look it up that way. But anyway, um, uh, that thing was moved into Europe at that time by John VIII relinquishing uh, and releasing the donation of Constantine to make way for that transfer. So that was in 1439. Um, but let me go a little further, before 1439, we're going to go uh, to Johannes Gutenberg in 1437, who uh, invented the world's first printing press for the Europeans now, in 1437, called the Gutenberg Press. Uh, he uh, needed money to continue to operate, so uh, he borrowed money from and a capitalist by the name of Johannes Fust, F-U-S-T. This is in 1437 after he uh, had completed the invention of his uh, printing press with movable print. Now, mind you, the Chinese had invented their, uh, the first printing press uh, with movable print in the 12th and 13th century. But this is Gutenberg. He was the first one in Europe to create a printing press with movable print. 1437. Uh, so uh, that was two years before John VIII, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, went into uh, Florence, Israel, and relinquished the seat of Christianity that was housed in Constantinople, Turkey, in the double wall city, and uh, of course, world's first Christian church, uh, the Hagia Sophia, where the seat of Christianity was. Uh, in at that time. So uh, six years later, in 1445, um, on the outskirts of Rome, over the catacomb, um, Eugenius IV and Nicholas V designated uh, the area to uh, have the Vatican as we know it today and see it today over there. As we see the Vatican today and know the Vatican that's over there today, uh, it is nothing but a replica of the double-walled city of Constantinople, where the world's first Christian church was housed. And that um, uh, that area over there, that is Vatican over there, was created and built by African builders, descendants of ancient Egyptians, known in history as the, the Moors. They're the ones that built the Vatican over there, as you see it today. They built St. Peter's Church in 1445, and they built uh, the Sistine Chapel in 1473. That houses, uh, that's where the Pope's uh, residence is. 
So uh, they're the ones that created that Vatican because of the Europeans at that time was, uh, it was at the beginning of the Renaissance era. They were just learning for the Europeans. So they didn't have that tech, technology to do that. So uh, they uh, asked the Moors to come in from Spain. They were in, in, in Spain and, uh, and from North Africa, those countries along North Africa. Uh, they came from that area. They came over there. Uh, and began to build what is known today and you, what you see over there as the Vatican. Now, that was in 1445. 30 years later, uh, here comes the world's first printed Bible on planet Earth. Um, Johannes Frost had the control of that printing press because Gutenberg, borrowing the money from him, couldn't pay the interest on that money. So he, so therefore, he just paused it. So that, that printing press was confiscated by uh, Johannes Buss, the capitalist. So uh, the seed of Christianity was in Europe, which is something new to the European. And he knew as a capitalist that this was going to be a, uh, uh, a big deal to have a printing press that could print up thousands of books and thousands of pieces of literature, as well as knowing that the Renaissance era was already in vogue at that time. Because um, you are talking about the Renaissance era of Europe, uh, the, the 1400s and the 1500s, which is the 15th and 16th century. Uh, that is the time of the, uh, the Europeans coming out of the darkness into the light, or out of the dark ages into the light. And uh, that is the Renaissance era, and that's when it started in uh Europe in 1400s, and uh, Gutenberg and Thus knew that this was a good way to make money because they had the only printing press with movable print in town. So in 1475, 30 years after the Roman Catholic Church was established, came the world's first printed Bible on planet Earth. And that Bible, the first printed Bible on planet Earth, was uh, printed in Italy, in a city called Bologna, Italy, um, using the Greek alphabet to do that. And um, it was formulated by uh, Johannes Ruslan and two of his Italian count uh, uh, peers. Uh, Cicero, Facino, Pico, Delamar, and Doa. Uh, those are the three men that formulated that Bible to be printed using uh, the material of Moses' Maimon called Nomonides. Uh, Moses' Maimon called Nomonides uh, wrote the first five books of the Bible that is in, out here today in the world. This is named for him. Um, of course, you know, from the time that he uh, wrote the first five books of Moses, which was uh, between uh, 1168 and 1180, that's been uh, over a couple of thousand years ago, almost a couple of thousand years ago, uh, that Bible has been changed and uh, his writings have been tampered with and um, things like that. Uh, so, but he was the one that was given credit for uh, the formulation using the materials to formulate that Bible to be printed. Moses' name on called Mamonides. Now, 
the Bible was called the Hebrew Bible. And um, that was the only Bible on planet Earth at that time. Now, in uh, uh, that time, 1475, the Roman Catholic Church did not have any literature for its object. The object of Christianity is Jesus the Christ. They didn't have no, no literature for, for Jesus the Christ. So in, in 1300, Pope Alexander VI commissioned a, a European ex-Roman Catholic priest, a uh, playwright at that time, Jesus uh, Erasmus, to write something on the object of Christianity. And uh, he did just that. It took him 16 years to do exactly that. But on his way of writing that, um, his, his noble mentum in 1516, there was a controversy that broke out in, in 1510 prior to that. And that controversy is called the Thefacorn Ruslan Controversy. Mind you, Ruslan was one of the three uh, men that and formulated that Bible to be printed in 1475. And uh, that irritated the Roman Catholic Church. So uh, when Pope Alexander, uh, he called for the destruction, the burning, and the confiscation of all uh, Bibles at that time. And uh, that is known in history as the Sephiroth Ruslan controversy of uh, 1510. And then you come up uh, six years later, that's when Erasmus came out with his Bible, which is called the Novum Instrumentum, or uh, the Synoptic Gospel. Uh, the Synoptic Gospel uh, consists of three Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. And they always tell you that John came later, which John did come later, in the King James Version of 1611, which we will get there. But uh, Erasmus was the first human on earth to propound a, uh, what is known as the New Testament, and that was for the purpose uh, for the Roman Catholic Church. So when he came out with that, um, that synoptic gospel or the Novum Instrumentum, um, which is uh, called uh, literature also, literature, which means the source. And uh, when he came out with that in 1516, uh, he also came out and created six more manuscripts to add to the three, one and two Peter, one and two Corinthians, and Galatians, and Epistles to the Roman. Uh, those are his nine manuscripts that he came out with. Now, um, uh, they always tell you that John came later, which is true, like I mentioned before. So uh, that's the contribution that Erasmus uh, produced in 1516 called the Novum Testamentum. In 1519, they changed it to the Novum Testament. In 1535, they changed it to the New Testament. So this is where you get the New Testament from. So Erasmus is credited for that. Now, let's go back um, uh, 10 years, I'm sorry, nine years later. It's the 1525. Uh, 
one of Erasmus' dear friends, a man by the name of William Tyndale. They were personal friends. He was the one, an Englishman, he was the one to, to first translate the Bible into um, English in 1525. Um, two years after he did that, a a theologian by the name of Jacob Van, Van Lyshaw in 1527 put the two books under one cover. And he they dropped uh, the Hebrew Bible, uh, naming the Old Testament as we know today as the Hebrew Bible. He dropped that name and began to, to call it the, the Old Testament. And he put the New Testament that Erasmus has written all under one cover. So they... So today we have a Bible uh, that consists of two sets of books, Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, that was done by Jacob Van Lyshelm in 1527. Um, then we're going to um, go into the area of uh, uh, Miles Coverdale in 1539 three Bibles. One Bible that he created was the Greek Bible that he dedicated to Henry VIII. And the second Bible that he created was called the Cranmer Bible that was uh, that he dedicated to Thomas Cranmer, who was the ecclesiastical advisor to Henry VIII. And the third Bible that Miles Coverdale uh, created was called the Geneva Bible. Now, what he did in uh, dedicating the Great Bibles to Henry VIII and dedicating the, uh, the second Bible that he created to Thomas Cranmer, his uh, Henry VIII's ecclesiastical advisor, uh, because uh, Thomas Cranmer advised Henry VIII to break away from the Roman Catholic Church after the Roman Catholic Church refused to give him uh, sanctions or give him uh, a pass to divorce his wife, uh, Catherine, in order to marry his lover, Anne Berlin. So uh, Thomas Cranmer told him, said, well, if they won't give you uh, the okay to divorce Catherine, then just break away from the English church. Oh, I'm sorry, to break away from the, the Vatican Church, which is the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church. So this is exactly what he did. And uh, when he broke away from the church, he began to form what is known as the Church of England, which was uh, housed in his castle, his home, uh, the Church of England. So that's where... Uh, those Bibles come in in 1539 by Miles Coverdale. From 1539 to 1541, he, he wrote those three Bibles. And in 1582, uh, the friars, those Roman Catholic friars there in France, uh, came out with the Douay Bible, which was a censor Bible that it was censored because sitting. Uh, there in Rome, since the Bible, to, uh, to make sure that things that 
that the Pope wanted to uh, be known to the public is in that book, and not things that he he didn't want he didn't want to be known to the public not to be in the book. So it's a, it's, it's it's called it's called possessive power of 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 the of the friars of uh, 1582. Now that's it came out with a a form of a New Testament, the French friars of the Roman Catholic Church there, 1582, 13. I'm sorry, in 1610, they came out the Old Testament of the Douay Bible. And that was also censored by the Pope. Then a year later, in 1611, came the King James Version that was created and dedicated to King James uh, by Sir Francis Bacon and Lancelot Andrews. They are the ones that created that Bible called the King James Version, and in the King James Version, the fourth gospel came out, which is the Gospel of John. So um, that is giving you um, a, a, let's say, a roadmap and a uh, way of knowing how the Bible was created and how it was uh, how it progressed through and over the time of years. So, uh, Brother Bahim, Brother Aline, I'll turn it back to you. All right, we do have a question, Baba. Uh, one of the questions is: um, Is Islam created by the Vatican? It's what Islam. Yes, was Islam created by the Vatican? No, 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 no. The Vatican didn't create anything, really, so far as literature or a religion, because the Vatican, when is a, the Vatican, as we know today, is the second seat of Christianity. So it, it housed Christianity and the popes over there, who sits on the throne in the Vatican as the vicar of Christ. The word vicar means the same as Christ, representing Christ. Now, getting back to uh, uh, the creation of Islam. Now, you have, like I asked people, they want to talk about Islam, or um, they asked me to debate them on Islam, which I don't debate anybody on any uh, religious ideology. Um, to answer your question, is that you have two forms of Islam here today. You have Mohammedanism, and you have today's Islam created of, of and by way of the Quran. You have uh, the Quran. Or, uh, the Quran is 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 the book that created today's Islam. Mohammedanism was created by Ibn al-Arabi, alias Muhammad. That's in my book, The Historical Origin of Islam. I read about uh, the life and the biography of Ibn al-Arabi, alias Muhammad. So, uh, getting back to your question, um, you take like the Moors in Spain. They practice Mohammedanism. They didn't practice Islam as we know it today. They practice Mohammedanism because uh, Ibn al-Arabi, alias Muhammad, died in 1240, and a year before he died, his disciples uh, went around 
uh, in Northeast Africa and in Egypt, spreading and talking about his philosophy, spreading his philosophy. Uh, 61 years later, uh, here comes the Ottoman uh, Turks, who created what is known in history as the Ottoman Empire. That was in 1300, 61 years later, or 60 years after the death of uh, uh, Ibn al-Arabi, Aries Muhammad. And they went up to uh, uh, their uh, people that they had under their rulership, which they had used to uh, most of the Byzantine Empire from the Byzantine Emperor except for the civil wall city of Constantinople. And they uh, went up to the uh, conquered or uh, the people living in the territory of whom they took this land from the Bajian emperors and went up to these people living in, in these, these areas in, in Egypt, Northeast Africa, and uh, walk, walked up to them with a sword and said, Muhammad or die. And uh, quite naturally, uh, the people that we know today are our ancestors that we know today as the Moors, who are descendants, direct descendants of the ancient Egyptians. And the, the name Moor is only a nickname anyway. So they uh, they were caught up in that, uh, that, that, that Mohammedanism also. So therefore, you see today in history, coming up to today's time, uh, you read about the Moors, you know, some people uh, mislabeled the Moors as saying that they practice Israel. They didn't practice Israel, they practice Mohammedanism. Uh, Islam today was created by the AIU, Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France, who in 1870 sent a Jewish uh, group of scholars into Syria in 1870 to create literature for the Mohammedan world. Okay? This is in 1870, so and uh, uh, 49 years later, uh, in 1919, the Mohammedan world accepted that writing. And that writing is called the Quran. In today's Quran, you see, interspersed in today's Quran, you see uh, Jewish literature, the Psalms, and other Jewish writings in interspersed in today's Quran. And you also will see the four Christian gospels in there today as I speak. So the answer to your question is uh, uh, today's Islam was created, like I mentioned, by the Quran that was created by the Jewish writers coming out of France, the AIU, the last Israelite Universal of Paris, France. That's my answer. Excellent answer. Brother Lane? Yes, I'm here. Huh? Yes, I'm here. I said, okay. excellent, I said excellent answer, Baba. Um, let me see. Thank you. Um, we also have, um, let me see another, um, Brother Reginald Wade, he said that your historical origin of Islam um, was a life changer for him. It's a masterpiece. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we know, well, as you already have broken brilliant. down, that um, another question was by um, Isabel. She said, um, what does the Vatican study? Um, of course, you know, I know you go into the Coptic 
So you want to go into that information on what the Vatican studies? Right. Better. Okay. Now, so, right. You know, what do they study? Well, yeah. where well, where do they get the majority? You know, the vast majority of their information from. Um, you know, uh, of course, you deal with a lot of this in your historical origin of Christianity, but you know, you know, these are just some of the questions that's coming through. So, whatever answer that you can give yeah. would be fine. Understand this. In 1453, or let's go back to uh, the beginning of the world's first Christian church, which I mentioned before, uh, was a church named the Hagia Sophia that was uh, built during the time of Justinian Martin and his wife Theodora, who commissioned African architects and African builders to design and build that church in 14. Uh, I'm sorry, in 532, and they finished it in 537, December 27, 537. Um, and that church was, uh, also was a, the world's first university for white uh, male students. They only handpicked white male students to come into that church to study. Um, so, and the faculty of that ch- the church school university was all staffed by African scholars because our African ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, were about uh, being the world's first and oldest civilization uh, and also being the first literate people on the planet. Why? Because they created an alphabet to make themselves literate. Because when you go to school, the first thing you learn is an alphabet. And with that alphabet, after you learn, you, you're able to read, write, and spell. So it makes an individual literate. So they were the teaching faculty at the Hagia Sophia, the world's first Christian church, and the world's first university for European hand-picked males. Now, over the course of the years, uh, which uh, I'm talking about 902 years in existence before that seat was moved out of Northeast Africa, out of double wall city of Constantinople. Constantinople today is Istanbul, Turkey today. Um, Within that 900 years of operating there in Northeast Africa, they had accumulated a lot of materials and they accumulated a lot of artifacts that housed in that church over there. So when uh, when uh, the Ottoman Turk, under the name of Muhammad II, took a cannon and blew a hole on 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 the, on, on the wall to enter the double wall theory of Constantinople in 1453, um, he sees the Hagia Sophia, the Church of the Holy Wisdom, or the Church of Mary and Christ. And they, they, he changed it and made it into a mosque. On my uh, cover of my book, The Silver Origin of Islam, you see three minarets there. That was the doing. Uh, uh, of, uh, they say, World Man 3, when he entered Constantinople and seized the Hagia Sophia. And over the years, his, his descendants began to put those minarets uh, around that church and they changed it into a mosque. So, prior to uh, 1453, 
uh, I said that uh, John the Eighth in fourteen thirty nine went into Europe and transferred that seat from Northeast Africa so it could be uh, transferred into Europe during that time, fourteen thirty nine. Now, a little prior to that, knowing that the Ottoman Church was going to come prior to 1439, uh, especially after the Vatican was established in 1445, they began to come into, uh, they began to come in back into Constantinople, back into Northeast Africa. I'm talking about uh, the Roman Catholic Church. They came back into uh, Northeast Africa, back into Constantinople, and went into that church and took out all of those scrolls and all of those artifacts out of the church, and they took it back into uh, Rome and put it and housed it in the Vatican. Today, as I speak, uh, you have a, a Vatican uh, uh, library, a Coptic library in the Vatican. The Coptic word, Coptic means a direct descendant of the ancient Egyptian. And you also have a Coptic museum over there that houses the, the same artifacts that was taken out of the Hagia Sophia. So, and then the library houses the literature that was taken out of the Hagia Sophia. And uh, today, I don't know if they changed the rules or not, but uh, when I checked maybe about five or six years ago, in order to, for you to, to go into the Vatican Library, you have to have a letter from a replicable uh, university that the Vatican recognized as being replicable. Uh, replicable. And um, they also, this individual with this letter from this university has to have residence in Rome for a year. And with those two things, now he can go up into the Vatican, up into the library, and present his, 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 his residency for a year in Rome, and the letter from the university that the, the, the Vatican will recognize. Now, uh, but before he go into the library, the librarian is going to ask him, what are you looking for in this library? And he's got to tell him what he's looking for, et cetera, et cetera. And he, then he's allowed in there. And then when he finds out what, find, what he wants, uh, then he has to come back to the library and show him what he uh, and what he's taken out of there. So that's how close to the watch it is. See? So uh, that's how uh, uh, the Vatican Library was created by, uh, and the Vatican Museum was created by, the, uh, the Europeans creating and developing the Vatican went into Northeast Africa in the Church of Hagia Sophia, where ancestors had been teaching for uh, 902 years before the seat was moved, and uh, they came in and took these things out. So I hope that will answer her question. I believe that it does, Bob. Um, we have two okay. more. We have two more questions here. One of the questions was um, that you've often stated that uh, the Metro Metro was never translated, um, and if it was never deciphered or translated, um, how can you um, prove that? Well, 
common sense. Uh, you got uh, pictorial symbols that were drawn by our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, in Egypt during the time of antiquity. Those pictorial symbols, uh, people of the world today have seen uh, the drawing of those pictorial symbols known as the hieroglyphics or the hieroglyphs. Never let your hieroglyphs tell you what to use. And um, those pictorial symbols were drawn by our African ancestors during the time of antiquity. Now, some scholars said that there are 400 glyphs, 600 glyphs, some say, 1,000 glyphs, some say, 1,500, some say, 2,000, some say, and uh, today, there's a group out there who is repudiating me. I won't go into that. They say it's 700 glyphs. Okay, fine. No, no, I have no problem with that. But every time I went to take a, a, a hieroglyphics class at the University of Chicago, I went over there, and I, I, something came over me and said, well, something is wrong here. You know. So, and then I took another class on the, on the Jacob Carruthers at the inner city studies here in Chicago. And the same funny feeling came over to me. So I had to pull myself aside. Now, I was saying to myself, what is wrong here? You see? Um, I came to realize, using my common sense, and also, let me tell you, before I use my common sense, what the teachers, a man by the name of Peter Piccioni, who was teaching over the University of Chicago, uh, hieroglyphics. Uh, me and my, one of my students went over there take his class. And before we took his class, um, we asked him some questions. Professor uh, Piccioni, do you think, in your opinion, that the hieroglyphics has been deciphered? And he says, yes. I said, based on what? And that startled him. I asked him, based on what? Then he started, he, on, and him and around, and he didn't come up with a direct answer. So finally, uh, after pressuring him, because now this is very, uh, very bad for a teacher that's going to teach a 12-week course on the cycle of the hieroglyphics, uh, to be in a position like this, to say, uh, no, they have not been deciphered. Uh, Frank Yorko, the same thing happened to him when we pressured him or, and confronted him about the hieroglyphics. He was a teacher of hieroglyphics over at the University of Chicago. Uh, approached him the same way. And he had to say, well, no, uh, it hasn't been deciphered. But coming back to my common sense, and coming back to, uh, in my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, if you uh, read my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, and turn to page 146, uh, it's the appendix section. It says, why the men in the hieroglyphs have been deciphered? The first reason, which is commonsensical now, that I give, is that one would have to ask the ancient Egyptians, what he or she meant for them to be, who drew those symbols. You have to ask the, the, the ancient Egyptian what he or she meant for them to be. A symbol 
You cannot put an alphabet to a symbol. A symbol can only be explained if you know the meaning of the symbol. Then you can explain it. No matter what language you speak, if you know the meaning of the symbol, you can explain it. Now, for instance, if I drew a symbol right now, and you and I are sitting in the same room, and I show you the symbol that I, I've drawn, and I ask you, Brother Ling, what is the meaning of the symbol? Would you tell me the meaning of it, Brother Ling? <laughs> Probably not. Only if I was in the what same room, to, like you say. What would you have to do to understand that symbol? We would have, to have we would have had a, had to have had a conversation prior to doing it. Now you have to. I drew a symbol, is that right? Right. You don't know the meaning of that symbol, do you? No. You have to ask me what I meant for it to be. Right. Is that correct? Right. That's common sense. Mm-hmm. That's what I said in my book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Number three, an uh, individual, no matter what state he lives in, if he drives a car. He um, uh, goes to that state to take the state's driver's test to get a license to drive in. Now, when you apply for your license, you're testing in three things, eyesight, rules of the road, and uh, symbol. Mm-hmm. When you get to the symbol, they ask what? They ask you the meaning of the symbol. Right. Okay? They don't ask you to... To, they should explain the meaning of it. You don't explain that meaning of that symbol. You don't pass the test. You see? Right. So um, then I come up to the, the fourth commonsensical thing. Um, everybody knows the symbol of the question mark. Is that correct? Right. So therefore, that question mark, when you see that symbol, the question mark is telling you what? It's telling you um, to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Right. That's the symbol is telling you that. Right. And you, if you know, if you know that symbol, then you know what that symbol means to ask questions. So I won't go on any further. If the individual wants to hold on to uh, that the hybrid is. And then the child has been decipher, then I ask them based on what? And to bring me some symbols before me and explain to me how you decipher the symbol. That's my answer. Um, appreciate that, Bobo. Um, we have another question. It says, why do you feel that the um, word more is a nickname? You say, why is the more is a nickname? Yes. Okay, now let me explain that to you. You got to understand this. This is very, very important to understand that the the people that are are, are known as the Moors is nothing but a direct descendant of ancient Egyptian. Right. Now I'm going to explain that. You take the Nile Valley civilization consists of, uh, of nine countries that makes up that Nile Valley civilization, which is uh, Uganda, Ethiopia, uh, the Sudan, which is Nubia, 
ancient name for Nubia. Abyssinia is an ancient name for Ethiopia, Egypt. So you got one, two, three, four with Egypt. Then you go west of Egypt along the Mediterranean, and you come up to Libya, it's next to Egypt, Tunisia, it's next to uh, uh, Libya, Algeria, Morocco, and Mauritania. Those are the nine countries that make up uh, the Nile Valley civilization. I call it the, the African Ancient Egyptian Commonwealth. Okay? So therefore, when the Spanish European white Spanish speaking people ask, they ask them, they ask, uh, I use the term more, to come and bring civilization to them. The reason why I say they ask, because they were not uh, invaders or terrorizers. You cannot civilize and terrorize at the same time. The two don't go together. Africans who are to, uh, coming from North Africa, who are part of the Nile Valley civilization, who is part of the African ancient Egyptian commonwealth, who is a direct descendant of ancient Egyptian, they use Morocco. This is very important now. They use Morocco for, to depart from Morocco to enter Spain. Why? Because Morocco is a country that has uh, uh, the Strait of Gibraltar is there. It has more land area that jets out into the Mediterranean than any of those other uh, North African countries bordering the Mediterranean. And that little uh, offshoot, which is called the Strait of Gibraltar, takes one on land all the way until you get to the end of that strait, and there is eight miles, 8.9 miles of water that has to be crossed before you can get into Spain, you see? And when uh, when they came into Spain using the country of Morocco, like I just mentioned, uh, these white Spaniards called them black amours. And the word black in Spanish means Negro, synonymous. Negro and black is one and the same. Now you have a another uh, misleading moor out there. It's calling the Seracian moor. Never been a Seracian moor. I write about that in my book, The Show of Origin of Islam, I think, in three places. They say that in 711, the Seracian moors entered Spain and brought Islam in there, which is historically incorrect. And that they terrorized uh, and conquered and terrorized the Spanish-speaking people, all the way up until the point of of, of, of invading into France, because France is borders Spain, and that they were turned back by Charles Martel. Okay, now that's the story that's attached to uh, the, the Seracians. Now I said this: it didn't exist simply because. Uh, not as no, no more. They didn't exist because uh, if they had conquered uh, Spain, a conquered people takes on the conqueror's uh, uh, language, spoken language. So therefore, uh, you know, the conqueror.
conqueror don't take on the conquered language, the conqueror takes on the conqueror's language. See, so in Spain today, and the Moors was over there, and they never conquered over there. They were asked to come over there. And that's the reason why the, uh, the, uh, the, the Spanish-speaking people have their language today. Plus, our ancestors are not terrorizers. They're civilizers. You can't civilize people and then, then terrorize them at the same time. The two don't go together. So, so that's the reason why I say that the Moor, the name Moor, or the Moors, is nothing but a nickname and an African who is a descendant of the ancient Egyptians using Morocco to depart in uh, and make their entrance into Spain by way of, because in Morocco, the day as I speak, has more land area that gets out into the Mediterranean. That, 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 that land area is called the Strait of Gibraltar, which takes you closer to Spain than any of those North African countries born in North Africa. Uh, when you get to the end of that strait, you have 8.9 miles that will take you by boat into Spain. So that's my answer. Brother Aline? Appreciate that, Bobby. Um, we don't have any other questions at this particular time. Um, is there anything else that you would like to elaborate on? Well, uh, I, um, since you brought that last question up, mm-hmm. it's a good thing that uh, the people in the Morris uh, science community uh, who follows the teachings of the Honorable Noble Lee, which is Good because without, I, it's my opinion, without no true Ali, um, I think that the Moors would be eliminated mm-hmm. because the Europeans tried to do that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but I think I want to that is to the more science follows uh, noble true Ali is that what you're teaching is okay. Well, I want you to uh, find your way back to ancient Egypt and connect yourself mm-hmm. with the ancient Egyptians, your ancestors. Mm-hmm. World's first and oldest civilized people who brought civilization to all of humanity, who created all forms of mathematics, who created the first alphabet, uh, who built the great pyramids, the Sphinx, and so forth and so on, the Mexican animals. That's creating farming, agriculture, and so forth and so on. So uh, go back there. That's where your greatness is lying. You know, I'm not, you know, what you are teaching is wrong or anything like that. I'm saying that I would like to see the Morse Science uh, Institute to try to relate themselves as Moors to their ancestors, our African ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, and that will strengthen your teaching, okay? And also uh, know that the name Moor is only a nickname. Because I just explained it to you, Moor, it became a nickname. Well, I definitely agree with you, Bible. It will strengthen um, the information. And plus, um, anyone who studies the Moor Science Temple for Market Information, um, Prophet Nobujali states specifically that he was an Egyptian adept. So he takes us back to okay. Egypt, but 
you know, it's the people who um, have a failure of understanding, you know, um, their information. So uh, the people suffer, you know, because they have people, you know, who sit at the head position who don't know um, Egyptology or Kemetology or any type of information like that. And, and um, you know, only thing they know is, uh, you know, what, you know, was bought, you know, or taught, you know, in the Moorish literature, the Moorish, uh, well, the Moorish uh, questionnaire 101 or 102, or even the Moorish Holy Quran Circle 7, you know. So I definitely agree with you, Baba. I know um, that's what we do. We took to take it back to uh, that information back to ancient Egypt. Yeah, so you have to use the term ancient Egypt because it's the world populace, the people of the world today know our ancestors as the ancient Egyptians, those Africans. Mm-hmm. You have to uh, specify Africans because you got those Europeans over there in Egypt today with those white faces saying that they're Egyptians, which they are because they live in Egypt. But their ancestors did not build the great period. Their ancestors did not bring civilization to this whole entire world and so forth and so on. Our African ancestors did this, so we had to share and point out and make sure that we use the word Egypt, ancient Egypt, African, ancient Egyptian. Uh, we are descendants of the African, ancient Egyptian, okay? Uh, I just make a suggestion. I'm not telling people what to do. Uh, my suggestion is not to use Kemet. That's misreading. It's, conf- it's confusion, especially the young people coming up. They don't know whether... Uh, it's Kemet or Egypt. They don't know. They're mixed up. But the strongest name out there is Asia. Uh, then they say, well, oh, that's a, that's a European, a Greek, that, that's a Greek name. No. When the Greeks, I mean, Alexander the Greek came into Egypt in, three, in 332 BC, they forced the Greek language on our African ancestors, the ancient Egyptians. By them being a literate people, they've learned that language and they've tied an alphabet to that language, which is known as the Greek alphabet. So the Greeks never had an alphabet, but the language uh, that was spoken by the Greeks, an alphabet was applied by our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians. So therefore, speaking while speaking Greek, they were asked, who are you? They said, we are Egyptians, Egyptos, uh, Egyptos, so forth and so on. So that's where the word Egypt comes from. Then come, you're giving the, the European too much credit. He, he couldn't read or write. He came from an uh, area of the world that was void of, uh, of, 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 of literacy, void of knowledge. He came, he was living in the Dark Ages. That's what, that's what the, the Renaissance era came about for, to take him out of the Dark Ages to bring him into the light in the 1400s. And Manuel Crossoros, an African, since we're on this subject, an African by the name of Manuel Crossoros in 1397, who was born in Constantinople, Turkey, Northeast Africa, where the Hagia Sophia was built. He was a teacher in the Hagia Sophia in Africa. He came uh, from Constantinople and went into Florence, Italy. It's a curia there, the word curia, C-U-R-I-A, means college. And he was the one that went into that dark room in Europe and hit the light switch and turned it on in 1397 to, be, to start the beginning of the Renaissance era for the Europeans. 
and he began to, uh, to teach the rudiments of the uh, of the Greek alphabet to a handful students there, male students. They didn't allow women to go to school back then. You see, so uh, that's a little history that one should know in our community about our ancestors. You is stronger to use the term Egypt, ancient Egypt. Okay, call our ancestors ancient Egyptians, African ancient Egyptians. Our ancestors are the ones that brought civilization to this world. You use the word Kemet. I asked an individual, can you show me on the world map where I can find Kemet? They said, they can't do it. It's not there. That's true. Can you show me an artifact that came from Kemet? They can't do that either. Can you show me any art that came from Kemet? They can't show me that either. Can you show me any literature that came from that? They can't show me that either. So don't use that. I'm not telling people what to do. You do what you want to do. I'm, you know, this is my suggestion. Don't use that because you diminish the strength of our ancestors because our greatness as an African people is lying in the continent of Africa unclaimed because we have been torn away from ancient Egypt on purpose to get us away from our greatness. But our greatness is lying in the continent of Africa unclaimed. We have 50 or more million Africans living in this country. We are the strongest and the greatest uh, Africans and the most influential Africans living on this planet today. No, uh, we are called Negroes. But we, as Negroes, Blacks, African Americans, don't have no national identity. That is what's lacking. One of the things that's lacking in our community, we need a national identity to identify ourselves with, to identify our greatness, to identify our ancestors. If you went back to to, to Africa today, there's no place for us, um, 50 or more million of us in this country, to say, hi, go to Nigeria. We're home. Uh-uh, it's all Occupy. You can't go to Ghana, you can't go to Zimbabwe, you can't go to no place in Africa, Mali, no place. But there's one culture that's uh, where all of civilization came from, where mathematics came from, where all of the, uh, the civilization that we use today all came from that one source, that one culture. And that was the culture that was created by our ancestors, those Africans living in, in the continent of Africa, in a country called Egypt, from their culture came the rudiments of civilization, mathematics, domesticating the earth, so forth and so on. You see that? So we had to get back to our greatest. We don't have a national identity. We identify ourselves as being black. That's the color. Negro, that's the description. African American, that's the description. We have to have a national identity where we can, all 50 million of us Africans in this country have to claim ancient Egypt in order for us, the, the first, one of the first of, of the five or ten steps for us to get out of this dilemma that we are in in this country today. So, um, that would be my answer, Brother Alain. All right, Father. Um, there's another question here. Um, the question is that in the book, when the rocks cry out by um, 
uh, the bar. I mean, the book is by. But um, let me see. I had the question right here. Then. Okay, there we go. All right, in the book, um, Rocks Cry Out, um, it, um, it is mentioned that this is Egypt here because of the 18 um, temples that's in the Grand Canyon being um, of ancient Egypt um, historically. Um, do you have any information on that? There's 18 temples in the Grand Canyon in which that the Albion or European recently state, um, stated that um, belongs to the ancient Egyptians and that it was here um, in the Americas. Um, do you have any information on that? Uh, you, you mentioned Albion, you said? Yeah, the European. Um, he stated in many articles, um, one book is called uh, Historical Cover-Ups, uh, is by David Childress, in which that I know mm-hmm. he states that there's 18 temples in the Grand Canyon, in which that was developed, designed, and spearheaded by the ancient Egyptians. Okay, I can. Uh, if that's true, I can understand why uh, he's making a statement simply because uh, you got to remember now uh, when. In 1492, when the Moors were uh, dispelled out of out of the Vatican and out of, uh, out of Spain, coming over on this, uh, into the Americas with uh, this Christopher Columbus, um, they found indigenous natives, Indians here, and they also found Africans living here mm-hmm. in this hemisphere, the Americas. So therefore, our ancestors, by them uh, being uh, civilized as they are, they built boats, they built all kinds of, of travel uh, 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 things to travel in. And one of the things was the boat. So they went around the world spreading their civilization among the people whom they met. So I'm not surprised at what you're making the statement that this man wrote in his book and, and stated that about these temples in, in America. Because uh, we're over here, way before Christopher Columbus came here, Christopher Columbus discovered America. Yes, he did. For white people. Because he, America was not lost. The indigenous Indian was over here, and the African was already over here before he even got here. Christopher Columbus discovered America for white people. Now, if you get a book, if we talk about books, Book called America BC by Barry Fell, F E L L. And he, in this book, America BC, he will tell you uh, about different artifacts found all over America to attest that our African, ancient Egyptian ancestors were already over here in the Americas True. before any European ever thought about this land area over here. I said, um, exactly, Baba. I have that book. You have that book? Yes, I do. Okay, but that, that book uh, uh, will answer that question for whoever asked that question. If they can get that book, they can clean it up. But my answer to that is that before uh, living over here in 
Hispanic neighborhood in Chicago called uh, uh, Africa's Presence in Mexico. My wife and I went to see it. The exhibit was a very interesting exhibit. And it's telling you how the Africans were already over here in this hemisphere. So that would be my answer. And I'm not surprised uh, that these uh, temples were there because we were all right, already over here. Before the Europeans ever discovered this land area. That's my answer. Um, someone okay. asks, what's the name of the book again, Baba? Uh, America B.C. by Barry Fell, F-E-L-L. All right. Um, any other questions? Are you talking to me? No, I'm asking the, um, the chat. Okay. All right, Baba, um, um, anywhere else you want to go with it? Well, if you have anything that you want me to talk about, or, you know, if no, they want no, to call okay. in, they can, right. and ask me questions, if they want to uh, check me in, they can do that, too. Right. I'm here. Right. Well, I mean, right now, um, there's no, there's no other questions, Baba. You, you, um, you did your thing, and, um, you answered um, the questions is people just go back and listen to um, the hour, you know, that we've been on us. So, you know, I think they will get their um, their questions answered. Okay. Well, we can talk about um, let's talk about God. All right. Well, yeah. it, it, before we get to God, he go one says the most. It says, what do you think? Um, about the Moors losing their ability to erect magnificent buildings, being that most of the castles was built, as you said, Vatican was built by the Moors. Okay, give me that question again. Um, what do you think about the Moors losing their ability to erect magnificent buildings?
evidence of uh, of, uh, of the buildings being designed uh, after the the Moorish uh, designs or the African ancient Egyptian designs. They call it they call it they're gonna take it away from us. They call it Byzantine art or Byzantine building. You see, so the Byzantines were uh, the Roman. Uh, started with the Byzantium, started with uh, Constantine, you see? So uh, what I'm saying is that I see signs of uh, buildings, artifacts, and things like that that are still here, still being replicated all over this world. You, you go into different states uh, of this country, and you see, and, and you find the capital uh, of that state. Uh, you go to that capital, capital city where uh, of that state, you see that the capital of the building uh, has a dome on it. It's like the dome that was put uh, it's in the White House today that was built in 1792 uh, by Moors. You see, of the Moors. You see, of the Af African Egyptian. They are the ones that built that White House out there. But to tell you, you know, to tell the world, this White House was built by slaves. It's a damn lie. Slaves can't build nothing like that. It was our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, under domination of the Europeans, who built that and designed that White House. But the same dome that you see that's on uh, the world's first Christian church, the Hagia Sophia, over in Northeast Africa. And in, in Istanbul, Turkey today, that, um, that 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 dome uh, on the Hagia Sophia, which is the Hagia Sophia in 1932, was changed into a museum. So it's still there as I speak. The dome that's on St. Peter's Church, the one St. Peter's Basilica, is still there today as I speak, built by the same. Uh, descendants of the ancient Egyptians. They were descendants of the ancient Egyptians who did that, and their architect is all over the world. Can't get away from it. In fact, you can't get away from uh, the things that came out of the civilization of the world's first and only civilized people, both civilizations of the world. You can't get away from uh, the first thing you, you learn when you go to school is your alphabet. They came from the ancient Egyptians. They created the alphabet. It was the first world's first and very people on planet Earth, our ancestors. In order to build any type of building, you have to know mathematics. They created all forms of mathematics to do just that. You, I, Brother Fahim, everyone that's listening to this broadcast, living in this country, uh, over 300, uh, close to 400 million people in this country, they walk around in their pocketbooks and their wallets every day with a uh, dollar bill in their pocket. On the back of that dollar bill, you have a picture of what? The Great Pyramid. Okay? And that shows you how great our ancestors are how much influence our ancestors have influenced this world. They put it on the back of the dollar bill 
and you carry it around in your pocket every day, and it's very top of that pyramid on that dollar is a round orange ball, and that's the position that we, as descendants of ancient Egyptians, have to reach and claim our position in this world among the world of humanity and take, the, take our rightful place at the table of nations among other races of people, okay? So we have to identify ourselves again as ancient Egyptian descendants of ancient Egyptians or African ancient Egyptians. That's what we have to do. So, and to claim our greatness. So, uh, look at the Benjamin Banneker was a, was, was a Moor. He was a direct descendant of ancient Egyptians, but he was a Moor. Like I said, a Moor is nothing but an, an African who is a direct descendant of ancient Egyptians. The Moor is only a nickname given to these Africans who are direct descendants of ancient Egyptians by the Spanish when they was asked to come into Spain, crossing uh, the country of Morocco, like I mentioned before. You see? So all this is history that's connected together. And they are. Uh, another thing I've never heard uh, the brothers who are in the more science uh, studies, uh, the uh, noble dream. Noble through all these theology is that like being a more that they never mentioned the Moors building the Vatican. They built that Vatican. They were the ones that built that St. Peter's Basilica with that dome on there. They're the ones that built the Sistine Chapel in 1473. 1478. After the, the Europeans has gotten everything that they wanted from the from, from, from us Africans.
beginning of the slave trade. Who started that slave trade? The Spanish, the Portuguese, and the Roman Catholic Church. Don't leave them out of it, out of it either. Because they were slaveholders. And they initiated us Africans being put into slavery. You see, in uh, 1832, uh, the Roman Catholic Church took uh, 272 African human beings and sold them into slavery to raise money to build George uh, Town University in Washington, D.C. That's history. But anyway, um, I can go on and on and on. But anyway, uh, any other questions? So my answer to that question is that, that it's all over the world. Can't get rid of it, man. Indeed, Bobby. Um, I know you want to go into um, the science on God. Well, that's just a feeling until, you know, get some more questions in here. Okay. You know, and then I can ask questions, you know. Are there any more? Um, some state that um, allegedly the Moors ran the um, Atlantic slave trade. What's your thoughts on that, Bobby?
All right, Baba. Um, let's see if there's any other questions here. What is the difference um, between, as you were stating, of the Mohammedans and those who practice um, Islam? I know you were saying there was a difference between um, the various Moors. There was two sets of Moors, as you were stating. Maybe that might help clear up. The, maybe that might help clear up the um, misunderstanding. Yeah, what now? You you stated earlier in the conversation that there was two sets of Moors. Um, one uh-huh. one who dealt with Islam, you know, Mohammedanism, and then the other ones who who dealt with the um, ancient Egyptian mysteries. Um, so what is the difference? Um, let's talk about that. Maybe that will help clear up the misunderstanding. Well, you have out here as a as a stumbling uh, block and something to show uh, you keep you from the truth, and that's uh, the Sarasian moral. When you hear that word Sarasian or Saracen moral, uh, that's a, a, a decoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you hear them say that the Sarasian Moor invaded Spain, conquered Spain, and, and went all the way uh, through Spain up into uh, the borders of, of France, and that they were turned back by Charles Martel, and that they brought uh, Islam into Spain in 711. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not true. That's the false Moor. Then you have the real African Moor, and that's the more that uh, that is a descendant of our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, those Africans, like I've been talking about all night. Now, let's get back to the Sarasian Moor. If he conquered the Spanish people, then the Spanish people wouldn't be speaking Spanish anymore. They would be speaking the language of the conquered. A conquered people is not... Uh, the language, I mean, the conqueror does not speak the language of the conquered people, but he goes back in, in a reverse. The conqueror uh, language is spoken by the conquered, so that never happened. So Spain and the Spanish-speaking people kept their, their language intact. Now, number two, they say that the, the Saracen War or the Russian War brought uh, Islam into into Spain in 711. That's not true. Because in 711, there was no Islam. Today's Islam is based off of a book called the Quran. And I explained how the Quran got, came about, and I'll explain it again. Um, so therefore, the story goes to make 711 not true, which, in other words, uh, you had to go back to the story of Muhammad, who was born in Mecca in 570, and he uh, out, 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 out of Mecca in, in 622. It's called uh, the Hiria, or the Hajj, or whatever the case might be. So in 622, he met an angel called Gabriel, who passed on to Muhammad, who was illiterate. 
the words that God wanted Muhammad to pass on to mankind. So Muhammad being illiterate, this is how the story goes. He learned what God wanted him to pass on to mankind through the angel Gabriel. And he memorized it by way of mnemonics, which the word mnemonics means memory. And he dictated memorized words coming from the angel Gabriel to a scribe. And as a scribe uh, put these words down, uh, those words on paper became the Quran. Okay? That was in 622 or the 7th century. In the 7th century, uh, that was known, let's go back uh, and deal with the Quran today. Interspersed in the Quran today, like I mentioned, is two sets of literature. One, the the Psalms and the Pentateuch, which is literature. In today's Quran, interspersed in there, is the four Christian Gospels. So let's go back to uh, the 7th century, 622, when all this story was supposed to have taken place by uh, the prophet Muhammad, the angel Gabriel, so on and so on, uh, uh, creating the Quran. In that 7th century, on 622, there was no religion on earth called Judaism. They have any literature. In the 7th century, there was Christianity. Yes. There's no literature for Christianity until the Erasmus came along in 1516. See? Uh, uh, 900 years later, and came out with the Nova Mysterium that Christianity has literature. So, uh, in 1870, the AIU, AIU means Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France, sent a group of European scholars, who they call Jewish scholars, to create literature for the Mohammedan world. And they uh, use the model of Mohammedanism. Okay? They, in other words, they took, a, a, they took an old house and they uh, uh, remodeled it. Okay? And they made the Quran out of Mohammedanism. From Ibn al-Arabi, David's Muhammad who was a Moor, by the way, born in Spain in 1165. In my book, he's so awesome, of Islam. And he, uh, that's where Mohammedanism comes from, after this alias. And there's a lot of things that you can do with a- an alias. Clayton Moore, the Long Ranger, his alias was he being the Long Ranger. Clayton Moore, the movie actor. William Boyd was alias Apollon Cassidy, another movie actor. Richard Reeves was who? Superman, alias Superman. 
see? So the, uh, and then Sean Henry, uh, Connery was alias 007, a James Bond. So you can see what you can do with an alias. See, you got two, you got a human, and then you got the alias as a, as a, as a, as a character, a non-human. And you can take that alias and you can do anything you want. You make it do anything. You make it jump up and down. You make it uh, jump out of windows and do everything. See, then things are impossible. Uh, you can do that with an alias. Ivan Al-Arabi, you read my books, you saw version of Islam. I'll tell you the three books that he created. The first, the first you had, all first you had, and all uh, Hakeem. And the, the bezels of, of, of wisdom. Those are his three writings that he created over there during that time. Over in, in Egypt, he came from Spain into Egypt and into Northeast Africa. And if you read the book, my book will explain to you because I write about the biography and life of Ibn al-Rabi, Elias Muhammad. And those Jewish scholars in 1870 used Muhammadanism and revolved it and came out with a, a Quran. It parallel different things. I'll show you the parallel difference between the two religions. Okay? They did that. This this Jewish group out of out of uh, Paris France, the large Israelite universal of Paris France did that. Why? In eighteen seventy? Because they wanted to create literature for the Muhammadan world by them doing what? They wanted to make sure that they did it because in the three major Western religions today, uh, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, you have one character in there that, that keeps the three religions together, uh, which is the character named Abraham. It, it was those Jews that had to make sure that Abraham was in that literature, because if you read the Quran today, Abraham is in there. And that's the reason why it was done. And how it was done, you see. Uh, I don't know how if that answers the question or not, but I think it does. But that's the difference between the two, and how they both came about. Well, it definitely fills in um, a lot of the points um, that is needed, Baba. Um, I don't have any other questions at this time. Um, any closing remarks? What's that now? I stated I don't have any other questions at this time. Are there any closing remarks on your on your behalf? I, I can't understand what you said on the last. Uh, do you have any closing? Do you have any closing remarks? Oh, closing remarks. <laughs> well, I uh, certainly that you gave me uh, an opportunity to come on your program to speak to our people once more and to try to bring some wisdom to uh, the things that I was speaking about, uh, new information that will provoke thoughts for them, uh, and uh, to clear up things that they may have as a misunderstanding or, or, and to expand their knowledge by evolving into the expansion of their knowledge. So I hope that I 
wealth of information that will help start that and do that to our African community. So um, if an individual want to contact me, you can contact me by way of my email. My email address is ancientegyptian at msn.com. Ancient, A-N-C-I-E-N-T, Egyptian, E-G-Y-P-T-I-A-N, at msn.com. When you email me, put your phone number there if you want to further converse with me. Have a conversation. Put your, your phone there, phone number there, and I'll call you back and we can check it from that point. Now, my two books that I mentioned, The Historical Origin of Christianity, it's been out for 25 years, starting all over America, in the UK, in the Caribbean, uh, especially, especially all English-speaking countries. Uh, the thesis of that book is saying that there's never been a man that ever walked earth in human form been a race of color by the name of Jesus Christ. Never existed. The second book, The Historical Origin of Islam, has been out for 15 years. It's selling in the same places that I mentioned about the Christianity book. The thesis of that book is saying that there's never been a man that ever walked earth in human form by the name of a prophet Muhammad of the Islamic tradition never existed. So you can purchase those books either Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or any African bookstore in your community. And uh, and then they will send you the book out, the books out rather, and you can go from there. So that is some of the closing remarks that I have to make at this time. And uh, maybe next time we'll get into who's this man called God. All right, definitely, Barbara. Um, we can't wait for that one. And um, okay. I said we can't wait for that one, so you definitely want to hear that one. Um, so, okay. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. And um, you've gotten a good response here within the chat room. Everybody appreciates you um, giving out that information. It's needed information. It's information which that they didn't have and which that helps connect um, a lot of the information concerning, um, you know, what is, you know, what happened in ancient um, times and how, you know, we ended up in the position in which that we, that we are actually in now, you know. Um, um Someone asked the question though. It says Yusuf Ben Pandora. Uh, the, the, I guess we can come back with that when we talk about the um, um, the man named God. Um, but the question was Yusuf Ben Pandora, uh, um, the Messiah, two thousand years ago. But I know that's something in which that they probably have to go and read and study. Um, one of the books that I can give you in which that will help um, with that. Uh, would be specifically a historical um, Christ, um, historical, yeah, historical Jesus and mythical Christ by Gerald Massey. Um, we need to go get that book. Um, he speaks about uh, 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 that particular character, and he even comes to the conclusion that he might not even have existed. 
Um, but that's another story. Um, appreciate you, Bob, for coming on um, for the second time. Um, anything else?
maybe another time I'll come back and, and walk you through the nine ecumenical council meetings that took place in Northeast Africa. The, uh, the Council of Nazi 1325, the Council of Council of Sinova 1381, the Council of Ephesus 431, the Council of Chastadon 451, uh, the Council of uh, Constantinople 2553, the Council of uh, Constantinople 3680, the Council of Hyria, which is one that the, the, the Council of Hyria, the Economic Council of Hyria, I have never heard anyone talk about it but myself. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to put any praise on myself, but I never heard anybody talk about the Council of Hyria 750-54. And then you have the, that's the seventh council meeting. Then the eighth council meeting was the, the Council of Nicaea 2787, the uh controversy council meeting. And then uh, the ninth council meeting that was held, all these council meetings was held in Northeast Africa in Turkey. Uh, then I go and tell you about uh, the Council of Constantinople 4, the, the Forces Philoquy Ecumenical Council meeting. And break all those council meetings down. Maybe I'll do that one day. That sounds fantastic too. Oh yeah, that's Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, that we, we can't wait for that one either. Um, so we're gonna let you go, Baba. We appreciate you coming on and okay. sharing with us this phenomenal information. Everybody said they enjoyed it, got something from it, they learned a lot. So um, can't wait to have you on again. So you know. When you're ready, just give me a call and we got you. Well, when you're ready for me, call me too. It works both ways too. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. That's good too, Bob. Appreciate you. Yes. Yeah, so, um, anyway, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. And, 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 and to Brother Fahim, thank you again. And Brother Arlene, uh, thank you, of course. And also, uh, I want you to give, a, give your wife a kiss for me. All right. <laughs> Definitely. Okay? Yes. But I want you to give it up, yes. And you're going to give a kiss for me, right? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but I don't want you to slob all over, okay? All right, I got you. I got you. What about the jokes there? Yeah. So anyway, uh, give her a hug and a kiss for me. All right. And I'll see you next time uh, on the same broadcast, and we can go over some a uh, lot of historical things that I think that our community is ready for. And they're ready to help them in their liberation because they're the only ones that can do that. Right. Okay? All so, right. with that being said, I said to you uh, and to them, may I hold tell. May I hold tell. Peace. All right. So, um, now I can answer um, all of these questions that's been asked. So, let's, let's go through them. All right, all right. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the fact that none of the Metro Metro has not been deciphered. However, you know, um, there's a lot of points in which that he makes in which that we do have to go back and um, definitely validate. We know that a lot of this information um, needs to be connected, you know. Um, so we keep doing that. We keep working at it. Um, Jacob um, Carruthers, he may mention of, um, who also uh, I studied under his um, head student, 
you know, um, who was head of the ASCAT, you know, so um, definitely, you know, um, as far as they're concerned, it has been deciphered at least um, enough as far as the language, but as far as the symbolism itself, you know, and what those symbols correlate to, no, we're still, um, they're still getting the graphs on that. A lot of that information I clear up by the fact of my presentation is not going to um, explain it on the symbology behind um, a lot of those um, hieroglyphics or metronetures and how it deals with the physical body, um, aspects of the physical body. Um, and how we know that that's what we use as a template is because everything that is used is a template of the physical body. Your computer is your imagination, all right? Your camera is your eye, or your TV is your eyes, you know? Um, you know, we're looking at, or I should say a fixation, the camera is the fixation of coming through your eyes into your brain, and you're taking a snapshot of what is going on. But all of these things are based on your physical body. So that means that the symbolism also will have to be um, mainly based on the signs of the physical body. So let's clear that up, all right? So once you begin to start studying the physical body, you begin to start studying the hieroglyphics, you will see the correlation between the two. Um, all right, Baba already answered the question about Islam was not created per se by the Vatican, um, even though there are um, some, quote, unquote, um, tenets in there. But I also see it as another way. Not only could it have been created by the Vatican, but they used the Jews. The Jews um, was used, or the AIU, as Baba said, in which that um, helped write portions of the script. Um, other portions, as you know, had to have dealt with the Catholic Church because they speak of Jesus 25 times in the Holy Quran, and that's more than even um, the two times of Prophet Muhammad. Um, who was also named Ahmed. Um, so, uh, you know, so we, that's that's a lot to also um, break down, you know, which I will not do at this time. You go and see my video um, that I've done on um, our Islam, on the mysticism of our Islam, all right, where I begin to start going into that information. And, of course, where does the Vatican study? The Vatican studies, of course, with the ancient Egyptians, that's where the information comes from. All major world religions, all right, and their so-called um, holy books um, are derived from the tenets or from the actual information that came from out of ancient Egypt, all right? Um, proof of this, verification of this, are too many to even go over. Just go and study um, G.S. Mead, um um, Jay Rogers, well, they never told you history. Um, yeah, well, they never told you history class by Endokimic Kush, the missing pages of history by Endokimic Kush, um, Egyptian Yoga Volume One by uh, Dr. Muada Ashby. It goes on and on and on. All right, so uh, you know uh, those those answers are very easy to answer. There um, is the Islamic dogma um, calendar, the same as the Islamic religious calendar. Um, number one, um, the calendar in which that is used within Islam, uh, we know is rather recent. 
you know, they don't even go back, you know, um, but to 1,500 years ago. And as um, Baba um, Professor Williams broke down, you know, 1,500 years ago, as old as um, the tenets of Islam is. And matter of fact, it wasn't Islam, it was Mohammedism, you know, which is the worship of Muhammad. Muhammad actually is a title which I go over that information on my uh, webpage, uh, Metaphysical and a Religious Confusion, which I spoke about last night. All right, so you can find your answer there for that one. Um, let me see. Where can you get a copy of the Q or Beth? Um, I do not know. That is something to which that um, Hannibal um, Bay have spoken of. Um, you probably have to get in contact with him in order to see if he even have an answer for that. I have no idea. All right. Vatican means place of serpent prophecy. Okay. Well, uh, Catholicism also means universal church. So, universal church is the serpent. All right. Prophecy. And what is that? That is talking about the Kundalini, raising Kundalini. All right. We understand that. Um, greater and more than anyone else as we teach occult, metaphysics, and esoteric teachings here. All right? Um, some things you ask him, Bobby, he's a historian. He's not necessarily a spiritualist. So a lot of the questions that y'all was asking um, was not on the level for him. I'm pretty sure of it because I've interviewed him many times. So, you know, some of these questions were not for him. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you ask media questions, it would be a different story. All right? But this is one of our elders, so I'm not, I could not and will not turn this into a debate. That's not what we're here for. We're here to gather information and to learn, learn from each other. All right? That's what we're here for. All right? So God has information that I know that I need, you know, um, and hopefully that you need, too, from listening to all. You don't have to agree with everything. Some things you keep at the back of your head and see if it comes to fill in another piece. This is how you do research and study. All right? So you can't be um, an asshole with anyone and with everyone in which that you disagree with. You know, there's a cordial way of just simply letting information flow, getting it out, and then you just simply say, okay, these are things that I can um, agree with. These are some things that I can you know, like um, Brother um, um, Bass L made a good point that epigenetics, in which that is being taught by um, Bruce Lipton, you know, who brought that to um, our attention, you know, speaks of how language is encoded within your DNA. So that would mean that, of course, the metronature will be encoded inside your DNA, especially if you are the ancient Egyptian. All right? So, once again, that's why... I, did not necessarily agree with that because I understand, once again, I specifically tie in quantum physics, all right, astrophysics, all right, all of these things, sacred geometry, all of these things into um, what we call geomantria, into the occult, into metaphysics, into esoteric teachings, all right, whether it's dealing with Kabbalistic teachings, Gnostic teachings, all right, or Sufi teachings, it doesn't matter. All right, so um, this is what we do know. All right, um, let's see here. What's other questions? 
already broke down the fact that Moore's M A U R S or M A O U R U, all right, were the high priests of Anu, and also and also M A R U R, all right, was a title too, right? It was a title, all right? So he made a distinction between this um, the Cetacean and the ancient Egyptian Moors. The ancient Egyptian Moors were the Moors, all right, who came from out of Ethiopia, out of the city of Meru, which be, which originally was called Meru, M-E-R-U. And of course, we know that America, that the original application of the name of America is M-E-R-U, meaning that the Egyptians were already here, as he made mention of. Now, of course, he doesn't go back as far as I go, but he verified that, you know, that they were. Now, of course, many people speak about Horace Butler's book, and it was a good book. However, um, you know, I got information which that goes back 600 million years here in the Americas. And specifically speak on the 18 temples built in the Grand Canyon. All right. Um, as I say, David, um, David Matricci, uh, uh in his volume one, volume two, speaks about the connection between the so-called Native Americans and the Negroes there um, in England, you know, and how both was referred to as Moors, all right? So we just don't say that it was a Spanish word because we know that Moorish Latin is the origin of Spanish, is the origin of Spanish. However, even before that, we know that M-A-U-R, which meant the high priest of Anu, was used in ancient Kemet. We know that even before that, that the word M-E-R-U was used in Africa, in Ethiopia, in Abyssinia. All right? These are facts. All right? Um, let me see. Only Dr. Ben, more African, would be a nickname because they verified that Africa, or they alleged that the name Africa is from um, Africanus. They are um, Scipio Africanus. However, Scipio Africanus only conquered Hannibal, all right? Um, it was not named after him, all right? In fact, he was given that nickname because of the conquering of Hannibal the Africans, right? And so hence, his people gave him that um, the acronym, all right, which is that fourth name that that's what they refer to it as, um, which is a nickname upon him as Africanus. Right, because of the defeat of Hannibal, right, during the um second um um second war that they had. All right. So um Africa does not um come from that. Um in fact the word Africa comes from um Afra and of course the symbol of Ka, but Afra actually are symbols on um natural nature. Hieroglyphics in Egypt, Kemet, um, Tamari, all right? And this is where it comes from. Afu meant body, temple, flesh. It's about um, even the decayed body of Osar, all right? Then Ra, of course, sunlight. And then Ka, spirit. So the bodily temple of this basically of the sun, of the soul, and spirit. 
That's what Africa means. So um, it is not the origin uh, or did not originate, I should say, with Scipio Africanus or Leo Africanus. Um, those are things in which that the historians believe at the time, and therefore they stated it in the books in which that hence because the Leo Africanus, Scipio Africanus, it became known as a nickname, but originally it was not. All right? Now, of course, um, Baba was talking about having a national identity, all right, as ancient Egyptians, of course, um, we as Washington, um, that word itself is Wajeta, and Wajeta, Washita, Wajeta is an ancient Egyptian word in which that um, speaks of um, the mother goddess principle as the Kundalini and the rising up of that creative force principle, all right, symbolic to the phoenix rising from the ashes, as we would say, all right? And I won't go into much there because I got a video coming out soon, which that we do on here, and which that deals with the Washington, and we'll take you through those um, ancient connections. Um, as he said, um, America BC by Barry Fell, good book in which that you definitely need to get your hands on. Um, Brother Jeremiah, he spoke of that the um, Libyans, the Phoenician script found here, older than the language they currently speak, right? So that is true. That is spoken of in the book, all right? Um, yes, we, the Washington, direct descendants of the ancient Egyptians, yes, we wanted to say. But we were the ones who was here millions of years in the Americas before we went into Africa and we drudged the Nile, and we asked our Ethiopian ancestors um, to have that land there. And we went into what we now call the center of the earth, which is Egypt, where we built the pyramids, all right? And it is there that we um, detailed that land mass, all right, or that land area. So we were the ancient Egyptians that was here, as well as the ancient Egyptians in which that was there in Egypt. So the ones in America who built the pyramids here and the mounds here, which the, some of the mounds and pyramids here dates further back and are older than the pyramids in ancient Egypt based on the lion-ass uh, calculations by the European Albions um, or even Awas, you know, um, there within um, Kemet, all right? Okay, so let's look. Um, you know, the Mississippians or the Washita, they are the Biloxi Moors, they are um, the Choctaw, the Tunica, all of those same people, just different names. Don't let it fool you. Don't let it fool you. Oh, no. Right? Um, St. Germain, yes, with a more. All right, Moors running slavery. Okay, let's, uh, I agree with Bob on that one. Um, now, of course, there were some Negroes that was involved, as Negroes always involved. Every damn demonstration you see, you see the vast majority of white people, but then one or two, you see 
sprinkled among them is a nigger. So yeah, nigger is always somewhere. I'm saying, but did they dominate? Are they the ones that was behind it per se? Now they might have turned a blind eye to it. You know what I'm saying? Now that's what we do know. They definitely did turn a blind eye to it. All right. Um, what else here? Okay. Um, let's see. Okay, more is the masonry. Very informative. Oh yeah, that's Brother Dewey. Yeah, good book. Mm, seeing what else it is. Seeing what else. Uh, let me see here. The Akashic Records, yes, the Akashic Records. Um, you know, I can't say if he knows what the Akashic Record is or not, you know, but, of course, we know the Akashic Records, um, the ethers, uh, Akash, Akasha, Sky, you know, um, you know, talking about Ionosphere specifically, while our ancestors go up in that, and therefore, if you have your brain Hence, mind antenna open and activated. Your mind can tap into the ethers or what is known as the Akashic Records, which is the universal library, or basically is the earth library um, of those who live here upon this planet from eons and eons ago, as well as those who arrived here eons ago, as well as the energies in which that comes from outside this plane, planet, dimension, all right, in which that we are able to receive this information. So um, in this regard, yes, um, this correlates perfectly with epigenetics um, by Bruce Lipton, in which that helps us with uh, deciphering the metronature and everything else. Uh, it says, um, yo, Eileen, you can do a show on how the priest of Saharian Trois venerated uh, the snake for wisdom. Is this why modern religions make snakes look evil? Of course. Of course. In fact, they referred to in Ireland when St. Patrick ran the snakes out of Ireland, the snakes were the Trois people. Look at the small people. You can get this from Ancient and Modern Britons, Volume 1 and 2 by David Matricci. All right? We always um, acknowledge the signs of the snake or the serpent code. That was Kundalini, the Mother Goddess principle. All right? We are the ones in which that has gotten away from the internal energy because we believe that an external um, Albion is going to save us. And believe that that belief is more powerful than the energy is inside of you, but yet the Bible all robs you to tell you this shit every Sunday. And greater is he within you than he that is in the world. But damn, when are you going to let the he within you work? And then stop being distracted by the shit that's externally in the world. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, these are just some of the keys. All right. We out of here, y'all. As we always say, continue now for days, weeks, months, and years to come. We're moving towards our 
specific goals of enlightenment, peace, security, happiness, and joy. Every action, enterprise, and endeavor which we wish to be involved is bringing increasing rewards. We have so much abundance and success in our life that we're able to help share with those who are sincere along the way. We're moving closer towards the oneness of God and God is in a full release of our higher inner selves. And what I mean by that is that, yes, I'm moving closer towards the God, which is the activation of my pineal gland, my soul, my pineal gland, and of the goddess, which is the serpent, which is the kundalini energy inside of me, and they move closer together, become one. I share. Peace, y'all.